amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen. Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups. It's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Good evening. Welcome to Tripping on Legends. I am your host, Christopher Balzano. Um, I want to start off tonight by welcoming our uh, our new audience who is listening uh, on Midnight.fm. Um, this is, <laughs> we like to say, uh, where it's always midnight. Um, we are expanding kind of our, our audience and we are hoping that they're willing to come along on this journey with us. Tripping on Legends um, is really primarily Florida focused, but as anyone who's had to spend time with me knows, once you uh, get the stories going, you realize not only uh, chances are that these stories are also found in your hometown, um, but that a lot of these ghostly legends that I talk about are going to be, they're gonna extend beyond just a, a simple ghost story. We're actually gonna talk a little bit of tonight about that at the beginning. But this idea that um, what is happening in Central Florida, what is happening in uh, South Florida, what's happening <laughs> in the Panhandle, these small little towns are the same small towns that you grew up in, the same small towns you live in now. And, the, and we explore these myths and we explore these legends, not only to find out about the paranormal world, not only to find out about ghosts, but also to find out about who we are as people, what our community and our history is, um, and then kind of some universal truth. So I'm glad that we have the Midnight FM uh, audience along with us. It's not gonna change you guys. You guys can still catch the show, only now it's gonna be consistent. Uh, every Tuesday night at nine o'clock, you can catch it. Um, and if you are listening on Midnight uh, FM, you can feel free to pop into the Tripping on Legends Facebook. Don't disconnect from Midnight FM. You can stay, you can kind of stay uh, in there and you can actually participate in the chat room that we've got going because it's shared on Tripping on Legends. And all of you guys who are uh, regulars in the Facebook Live, nothing will change for you guys. You'll still have to look at my ugly mug uh, while I explore these things. Um, and, and hopefully you guys can contribute to the show. So feel free to call uh, if you want to contribute to what we're talking about tonight, either the first section uh, where we're gonna talk about uh, how to tell a true ghost story, or in the second section where I get into a very specific legend of the coyote woman. If you have a legend that you wanna share or you have kind of some comments or commentary on uh, the legend of the coyote woman that, I'm, that we're gonna be looking at, Feel free to pop on in, feel free to call. The number is 813-418-6822. And remember, while you're putting that into your phone uh, on speed dial and, and, and taking a nice picture of my face and putting it as your contact, that you can follow us on any of our social media platforms. So at Facebook, it's facebook.com backslash tripping on legends. You can contact me at 
spookytripping at gmail.com. And spooky tripping is also our Instagram account. And we are on Instagram TV right now as well. You can also tweet us at spooky balls on. Do people use Twitter anymore? I'm getting more and more followers on Twitter, but I don't seem to see a lot of, uh, of action going on. So sh shoot us out a tweet to tell us that you're still alive in this world. Um, I wanted to start tonight by looking at um, the nature of ghost stories and the nature of, I guess, more than an actual ghost story, the nature of the telling of ghost stories and how we communicate the paranormal that is uh, something that we may or may not experience, right? And I think we need to make maybe a clear distinction, although the distinction is really cloudy and should be, between a ghost story that we experience and a legend or a myth that's told in our town, a ghostly story or, or an urban legend that's told in our town. Um, oftentimes we insert ourselves into that story, but it didn't necessarily happen to us, but it's something we've lived with. And it's something that we've, um, we've become as a, as a listener of the story. And then as a repeater of it, we become a living, breathing part of that story of that narrative. And so it, it it's almost as if it existed to us. And, and that's kind of what we're going to explore in this first part here. So <laughs> I loved uh, when I was in college, like my freshman, sophomore year of college, I was first exposed to, um, uh, what do you call it, uh, 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 Dr. Uh, Strangelove. And of course, the subtitle of that is, or How I Learned to Love the Bomb, right? And, and, and that's supposed to be like the witty turn part. Um, so this episode is episode 72, and it is, you know, entitled Tracking the Coyote Woman, but the subtitle is, or How to Tell a True Ghost Story. Because... In dealing with this story, and I had planned to talk about this already, if you'd listened to episode 71, we kind of began the discussion then. I had planned on talking about this already. And then I ran into a case this week that became a perfect example of what, what do we do when we come across a ghost story as storytellers, as folklorists, as writers, um, and just as tellers of stories, how do we get the details right. So if, if you know me at all, you know that this book, which is backwards on IG, but it's Tim O'Brien's um, uh, The Things They Carried. It's probably the most influential, single influential work of art that I've ever experienced. I had my students read it last year and they were absolutely loving it. Uh, the highlight of my radio career, while I love being on Midnight FM and all the work I've done on Spooky South Coast and other shows that I've been on, my greatest moment was when I called NPR and made Tim O'Brien cry talking about his book. Um, and it's a really powerful story if you've never read The Things They Carried. It's a collection of short stories which together act as one long story. So it's a novel kind of told in these short stories, which is kind of revolutionary um, at the time that he wrote it. And in this, and it's very, it's what they call metafiction. So it's a lot of it is uh, having to do with how you write something and the importance of the telling of the story as much as the story itself. And there's one chapter in particular called How to Tell a True War Story, which is kind of the, the, the centerpiece of the book. It's not in the middle or anything like that. But <laughs> I was rereading it today because I, uh, I knew I wanted to, or at least in the, I had in the back of my mind this idea of how to tell a true war story. And or how to tell a true ghost story, and I just kept running across the things that O'Brien talks about in this book, um, and specifically in this chapter. And I was like, "All right, so let's like see what's going on here with this. Let's see if we can make some kind of correlation to what is uh, what is happening uh, with a ghost story." Um, and um, I'm going to go over a little list here, and I'm going to relate it to, uh, to, to to ghosts. A true so it starts off by being whether or not stories are true. And as a folklorist, I'm not really overly concerned with, um, with whether or not a story is true, but um, it's, it's kind of, you know, we present these, they're engaging enough to us that they are true and, and we kind of live with them being true. So a true ghost story is never moral uh, and it doesn't have a point. So 
when you communicate a ghost story to someone or when you read a ghost story, you kind of want there to be a point behind it, right? It's a, it's a better story if there's more at the end. It's a better story if when you get to the end of the story, um, you feel as if something's been resolved or you feel as if, for example, that uh, the ghost is at peace or the family, if you're, if you're from the living side, um, and that there's some kind of message. It's an uplifting message. It's a hopeful message. And um, a true ghost story is usually not like that, right? Uh, it's usually a series of events that happen to someone or a community, and there's no explanation. There's no logic to it. There's no um, purpose to it other than to, to exist, right? We put the importance on it afterwards. So, so many times when you hear a, a story from someone who's had a real experience, um, they tell you the story as, as if it were you know, Aristotle's plot diagram, you know, exposition, trigger, rising. I'm not going to bore you with it. Um, but that's not the way things usually have played out, right? They've only kind of come to it afterwards. A true ghost story, one that's kind of like not invaded by anything else, um, doesn't have that. It, and it doesn't have a, a, um, a meaning at the end. Ghost stories are not fables. They're not... Um, you know, we throw on the word kind of interchangeably myth and legend and urban legend and folklore. And these are not really interchangeable terms, but they are for what we kind of do here. Um, but <laughs> they're not in, in reality. Um, in a true ghost story, what happened cannot be separated from what seemed to happen. And that is a huge deal and, a, and something that I deal with all the time. And when it comes to so the real point of all of this is this idea of when do you have enough experiences to warrant it becoming a myth like when are there enough moments when are there enough instances when you can say now like oh this place is haunted or you have a, a you know this there's a ghost here um and it gets passed down from generation to generation um what happens oftentimes is people don't remember what they heard and people don't remember what they experienced, right? But people don't remember what they heard. And tonight's story is going to be like a classic example of, of the story getting changed from generation to generation until it kind of falls on my lap. Um, so you have to understand, like, if you're trying to communicate to that someone, is it important to identify that? Um, is it important that people understand uh, and that you acknowledge in the story that Oop, there's a flaw in that and I'm gonna and I'm gonna pick at it a little bit, right? Um, a lot of this was born out of me kind of um, working on the new book and realizing that um, most ghost books just seem to be carbon copies of the ones that came before. Um, and that you can, and I know this is this is kind of jerkish to kind of talk about and kind of put out there because a lot of these people are my friends, right? Um, and and even me, it's, it's more of a me issue. I was working on the book and I would probably be two thirds done. And I was looking at it saying like, I've read this before. I've read this this book. I'm, I'm, I'm rehashing the kind of classic way to to tell these stories. And it came upon me of like, do people want that, right? Um, is there room in the paranormal, is there room in paranormal literature, by paranormal literature, I mean like true ghost stories or, or myths and legends, not like a completely fictionalized account, for narrative, for style, uh, for art? You know, can you experiment with it? Will people like, as readers accept that um, or do they just want it thrown out there? You know, I am, it's funny because when I did Haunted Love, coming out September 15th, when I wrote that, um, it was very easy because most of the stories were already done. I just had either posted them or I needed to switch them around a little bit. And I needed to do a little research on other stuff and fill stuff in. But they had taken on that kind of circle around the story, um, break it down, kind of tear it apart. And of course, we don't know the fate of, of Haunted Love yet because it hasn't come out. Um, but even now, as I'm, as I'm writing this new one, it just was, was killing me. And it, and it was that idea of, 
you know, is it important to acknowledge, does the reader want to know that there's a flaw in this? Does the reader want to know that this ghost story might not be true um, or does it take them out of it, right? So if you're building that line between um, what happened from what seemed to happen, does that lose you as an audience? When you're hearing a story, does it lose you as an audience? And I understand some, some of you guys might respond to this because if you're listening to this show, you like, uh, you like as, as Margie says, breaking down the myth. You like that analysis of it. But if you're reading a ghost book and you purchase a book, and we've been accused, I've been accused in the past of not writing books that are scary enough. If you're looking for that, um, how, does it, how does it impact you as a reader if then all of a sudden they start talking about all this other stuff. Like tonight I'm going to talk about, oh, you know, it seems as if this would be a Native American story. It's like, well, it's so not. And here's why. Or here's why this story doesn't make sense. Does it pull the reader out of it? Um, and the, the next one is a true ghost story. Can't be believed. The crazy stuff is true and the normal stuff isn't. So uh, I know that the person whose story this is, um, is a... Uh, is in the chat room, uh, and I'm not going to acknowledge her necessarily by name, but this idea that um, crazy stuff, the more, uh, the more unbelievable it is, the more it generally tends to <laughs> be real, right? Um, when people are, um, when they experience stuff that they truly cannot understand, that's when it, it feels as if, um, you're talking about something that might have really happened uh, or something that um, does resonate and kind of connects with people. And of course, once it gets to myth time, all that stuff is kind of sheltered out. So I was talking to this person who experienced a time slip, an abduction, and, you know, years later, 40 years later, 50, 45 years later, there's still that question, right? There's still the question of what happened here. She was in Sarasota. Um, and then all of a sudden, you know, instantly to her, she woke up in the Ocala forest. And it's a really crazy and and makes no sense. And there was no precursor to on, uh, to on it to it. And there was nothing that that kind of signaled it. There was no flashing light. There was no, you know, we had a premonition. Um, and then they, you know, in a very mundane way, they were able to get to town, get someone to pick them up. Um, and then they never really, not only did they not really talk about it ever again, but also it, it impacted all their lives. But there was never any follow-up, right? And so it's not as if there was some kind of revelation that goes to the whole moral part, right? The whole moral of the story. There was no follow-up to it. There was no dream afterwards that connected it. There was no hashtag follow the signs. All of a sudden things that were, that had happened were revealed or there was a memory or anything like that. It's just this completely, um, in and of itself, like just there experience that had a very profound effect. Can't say very profound, had a profound effect on the people who were involved in it, but there has no meaning to it. And, and there was no, it was a, a bubble. Um, and that kind of leads to, to the next one, um, which is a, a true ghost story never ends, never seems to end. The people who experience a true ghost story, and this is the one thing that is really hard to articulate in writing. And I wonder how much, and I struggle with how much to actually do this in the writing, because it's the... It's the thing that you feel as the person who told the story, but the thing that no one ever really will get. And that's this idea of that, like, the story never ends, right? Um, so for the person who experienced that time slip, that story never ends for her, right? It's not necessarily on her mind all the time, but it's something that if she, you know, she, she allows herself or pops in or something reminds her, then it's there, right? Um, or, you know, I did a story in ha uh, Haunted Objects about um, a woman who had a St. Raphael pin and the pin kept, or necklace, and the necklace kept 
uh, appearing at the grave of both her son and her father. And she's telling me this story more than a decade later, and it still has an effect. That ghost experience, you know, <laughs> the, big, the big joke that we always say uh, in Bridgewater Triangle world is that when, um, when people give their stories, oftentimes it's, um, you know, <laughs> this happened to me years ago. Right. It's not necessarily uh, something that is completely, you know, uh, uh, it's not new. It's not fresh. That's what the production companies hate. But there is this idea that like. Um, it happened a while ago, but it's still on my mind. Right. And that's something that's really hard to convey in a. Fresh way. Years later, Joe still thinks about that night. You know, like I've read that line. I've read that line a hundred times. Um, and I, I'm going to read, I'm going to read this, this quote, because, um, I, I, I love that because I love this one and I'm going to read you a quote and I know that, um, Natalie would kill me if she was watching this and she discovered that I was reading during an episode, but I'm going to, um, <laughs> I'm going to try it here. Uh, and that is, you can tell a true ghost story by the questions you ask. Someone tells a story and afterwards you ask, is it true? If the answer matters, you've got your answer. Um, and that's kind of what I, I, I struggle with. And that's kind of what I deal with. This idea of saying a, uh, telling a story um, and wondering whether the audience cares whether or not it's true. Do you guys care whether it's true? Um, do you guys feel that uh, if, you are, if you want to get a story, if you, if you somehow feel robbed, do you close it um, and finish that story and say, that didn't happen, that didn't, that didn't, come on now. You know, and, and, do you, and do you feel robbed if it doesn't, right? Like if you feel like you've lost something that the story itself has somehow cheated you, if you get to the end and you're asking that question and you don't have the answer, right? Um, we're all living, in the in the shadow of New England ghost files, where at the end there was always that don't 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 part of the part of the story where it was and it ended up that his father had lived in the house and, right and you have this like <gasps> and I remember being so um, blown away by that right I remember being so um, so uh, uh, um, engaged in that because it was it was clear cut. You know, and I and I, I have these narratives and and I struggle with how to communicate them, right? Because they are being <laughs> they're being um, just recycled, recycled. And I wonder if we become so I would love a response to this. And of course you can feel free if you want to chime in on this at 813-418-6822. Um, whether we can get to the point where um, we lose what I call awe. And the story just becomes overly familiar. Like in folklore type, we kind of like that, right? We like a little bit of that familiarity. I guess there, you can say um, there's that, uh, uh, that drop. Oh, wow, I wish I could remember what it's called. Um, that, that idea that like, it's true, it's true, it's true, it's true, it's true. And then boop, no, you've lost me because it's not. Like something happens. Um, and we lose that sense of awe because we have seen it so much. We know what's going to happen. Um, we know the way the story ends. You know, we talked about one of the reasons why I started Tripping on Legends and the approach that I take to it is that I, like many other people, had lost um, awe in the paranormal, right? We, I had lost this kind of like um, happy um, um, bewilderment, <laughs> right? Uh, this idea of um, looking at something that is completely unexplainable, but it becoming so common that you no longer are in awe of it. You're no longer kind of um, wondering whether or not it's, it's, it's impactful. It's like, oh yeah, there's a ghost. Um, and I think that people, I sorry, I had to kind of switch to the thing because my, my comments aren't coming completely the way I want them to, but it looks like they are. Um, I think we've done the same thing. And, and I think it's, 
it's funny that all this is kind of happening at the same time. Um, but Ella and I, we got a ghost book from the library about Florida because I wanted to see if there was anything new they could bring to it, piece of some history that I didn't know about some other places. Um, and I just like to sometimes read other people. And I, I did a little test <laughs> and I said to her, all right, I want you to open up to the table of contents and I want you to um, just tell me the area and I'm going to tell you the chapters. And I had like, you know, at least a 75% success rate talking about what are the stories that are going to be in this ghost book. Uh, and it's not by someone that I know or anything like that. It was just a random book that I picked up. Um, and, but it's, but it's there, right? It's there. And I struggle to communicate these stories because they get boring, right? They get boring. Not only do they get boring, but as a storyteller, I lose my way as well. Um, and so it's funny that I, I want to, I want to be fresh and I want to be new and it's, and it's difficult to do that. And I think a lot of it has to do also with, um, you guys, the readers, uh, you know, I think that you guys have a certain expectation of what a ghost book should be. And if it's not that, then it's like, yeah, that didn't really work for me. Um, I always, I always go to the story of, of, I called, I've called it the message I've called it the polo shirt and glasses at different times. And I think it's one of the most profound stories I've ever been told. And it's essentially the story of uh, a friend of mine whose, um, whose roommate in college had died. And um, I'm sorry, her roommate's boyfriend had died unexpectedly. He was like 20 years old and it was horrific and it was horrible. And, and, you know, she had to live with it and she had to kind of deal with it. And um, the daughter, the um the, the girlfriend um couldn't couldn't really couldn't deal with it and she would have these horrific nightmares she thought were nightmares of him in the room trying to communicate with her to the point that um she had to have like the um the carpet torn up right if, if he was lying on a on a chair she had to have the chair removed from the room and, and it really kind of um disabled her life and then it ends up that not only did the story tell her to me uh, a friend of mine, um, but other people were having um, dreams or visitations by this, this by this, uh, the same ghost who was just trying to tell her he was okay, move on in the world. And, I, and I've, and, and I've always told that story um, in a, in a different kind of way and no one has ever connected to it. Um, and I think it's like one of my favorite stories that I've ever, that I've ever told. Um, and I tell it differently than I, than I did with you guys, but and I feel part of it is because there's a certain expectation. And, and even though it has that, that moral that I talked about, people just don't seem to connect to it as much. And I wonder why that is. Um, and so I came across this story this week and all of these things came flooding back, right? Because it's, how do I, I came across a story, someone connect, uh, contacted me with this story. And it's a perfect example of, of the absolute shit show uh, that is the, um, the Ocala Forest. It is a story which, it's funny, um, the, the man's name is Taylor, and he's kind of young looking, if I'm going by uh, his picture. I haven't deep dug his profile or anything like that. Um, and, and he phrased it, uh, I love this, it's just old folklore. I have no way to prove it. It's only hearsay around these parts. And that phrase, that hearsay around these parts, is really what stuck with me um, because it was not something that a 20, 30 year old says around these parts, hearsay around these parts. And a few other times during the actual telling of the story, he falls into this old fashioned narrative, which to me um, screams of being told the story time and time again, and being told by an older person and mimicking the way they say it, right? That's how we learn stories. That's how we pass down folklore is by this oral tradition of it. Um, and that's, the, that's one of the really horrible things that I'm discovering is that it's really different to um, give yourself that feel of oral, uh, <laughs> feeling of oral, <laughs> give yourself that feeling of oral communication, right? That, that word of mouth legend aspect of things, even a real ghost story. Um, you, you lose that when you start to type it, right? It's almost as if I feel like uh, rather than writing a book, I would rather have someone just like open up I don't know why I'm going with this weird, like, 
old technology, like open up a book and it talks to them. You mean an audio book, Chris, like where people just buy the audio file? Um, yes, something like that where I could just, you know, tell them or whisper in their ear and kind of have my eyes and have my um, uh, my hand gestures on time, have my hand gestures communicate what I'm trying to say rather than trying to put it into words because sometimes the words don't work. Uh, and this is a great example of that. He tells me this story and I don't know how to file it, right? I mean, so many of these, I talked about the, the time slip story earlier. I don't know how to make these things um, connect to each other because it goes from one to another and someone tells a story and then they tell me 17 other things. And I'm like, I don't get what you're trying to say, but the connection is made in their head, right? Um, and so it's like, do I just go straight forward with this, with this um, narrative, right? Do I just go straight forward and be like, here's a story, here's a thing? Or is it like one of those things I know I, and normally I don't swear. So it was kind of like, it was that intense that I needed to swear. Um, or do you, or do you, you start with the, do you start with how wrong this legend probably is, or do you get into it? So, um, I'm going to drop into, into storyteller mode and I'm going to try, I'm going to try, I swear. I feel like I need to have like, you know, be tied up or something like that, or have someone here with a, with a, with a knife, you know, Deanna always says like, just let the story be the story. Like have the knife right here being like, if you go off, if you still doing commentary, we're going to stab you. Um, because this is, uh, I'm going to just try to do the story as the story. And, and then we'll get into everything a little bit later. So there is a, there's a town known as Rosewood, Florida. Uh, and it is an unincorporated section of Lake County, which is, uh, which no longer exists. Which no longer exists. And uh, there's a off the road and in the story, off old cemetery road, there is a cemetery, which is pretty much abandoned. You have to go into the woods to get to it. It's overgrown. There are both marked and unmarked graves. And the story goes that uh, generations ago, years ago, there was a 15 year old girl who fell in love with a 17-year-old. And that 17-year-old boy happened to be black. The father found out about it. <clears throat> the father drags uh, the boy into town and beats him half to death. He then drags the boy back into the woods or into the woods nearby. Some people say that he dies from this. Um, others that he just leaves. But either way, when she discovers, when the young girl discovers what's happened, she immediately goes to the site where the beating happened. And there's blood everywhere, and she's absolutely horrified by it. Um, and she doesn't, at this point, know what's happened to him, whether he's died or what's gone away. She's just kind of heard what has happened and um, she sees blood all over the place. She goes home into and finds uh, her father's gun, which he has stashed in the nightstand. And when he comes home, he kills her. She kills him, sorry, she kills him. Um, and she goes back out into the forest um, and She's covered in blood. She goes to the cemetery and she just cries and cries and cries. And eventually her sorrow and her grief and this crying that she does takes the form of, uh, uh, or the tone of a coyote. So she begins to sound like a coyote. She then um, lays on top of, of one of the graves um, and kills herself with the gun. The weird thing is, is that um, not only is her body never discovered, but 
it's said that she actually becomes a coyote. So during this during this 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 horrific event, somehow her body is transformed um, into an actual coyote, uh, and she lives forever. She's she is still to this day um, prowling the Ocala woods, the Ocala National Forest, and it says that she preys on people who enter the forest who are evil spirited. So in death. She has this kind of job where she is, to some degree, protecting the forest. And um, if you go to that cemetery, not only will you see this coyote, and you can be judged as being um, uh, <laughs> worthy or not by whether or not she attacks you, but at night in the area where this cemetery is, there is um, the sound of coyotes howling, but within that howl, you actually hear a woman crying as well. That's the story. I got through it. I only twice, I think, like disappeared into, into uh, uh, commentary. But yes, that's the story. Um, does it make sense to you? What are the flaws that you see in this story? Where do you see the difficulty um, in trying to communicate this story to the public, right? Like, how would you tell that story? And of course, the whole itch of it is, the rub, if you will, um, is that it's not that simple, right? There's a, there are a lot of things um, going on. Uh, the, Taylor didn't tell me whether or not the story was true. Um, he was very quick to point out that the cemetery exists and that he himself has heard the cries, right? That's actually a part I added to the story. He has heard the cries inside of the, um, inside of the howl. And anyone who's been out in the Ocala knows that there are a lot of, um, there are a lot of animals out there. I'm not sure if there are black wolves, Margie, um, but I do know that there are coyotes. Uh, there are a lot of bears. And so, you know, we're left with this story and we're, we're, we're in that moment, we're like, all right, so like, what is it, what does it mean? And do people care what it means? Um, and, and automatically, I am so glad you went there. Um, automatically, we're, we're, we're drawn to this story as, as possibly or potentially being Native American, right? Um, because we assume coyote and coyote has a lot of symbolism in Native American folklore, Native American culture. It, it, is, it is this interesting combination of um, strength um, and cunning, right? So it's kind of got like the strength of, of something uh, more powerful than it, or something, you know, like a bear or something like that, but not, not quite there, not quite at that level. Um, and yet it's got the cunning of like the fox um, and the, this combination in almost all, and anyone who, who can, who wants to talk on this can, can feel free to interrupt me. I, I talked to um, uh, Dr. Starks about this, this idea that the coyote is somehow a trickster, right? And the coyote is there to um, cheat. Uh, it's there to get someone to do something that they're not uh, willing to do or to kind of like take advantage of people, none of which is in the story, right? So even though you know, she starts to sound like a coyote. She, um, she doesn't have, like, there's no trickster element to it, right? Uh, so the coyote seems like a really odd element to it. I mean, it screams Native American, screams it. Like, this has got to be a Native American story. And I think that um, we've explored this idea before. Uh, for example, uh, when we talked about Tomoki, when we talked about um, the, the story of the, the singing manatee, uh, river, this idea that there is um, a an odd mysticism that uh, America has with Native Americans, right? And this idea that you can take an element like the elements of nature, like oh yeah, like I know, like those uh, those Indians, like they're really connected to nature, so we're gonna make it. And you, and you tell the story, and it doesn't make any sense because this is not. Um, this Romeo and Juliet 
love story type thing is really, and feel free to correct me if you're wrong, if you can come up with another type story that predates it, this Romeo and Juliet, uh, death, suicide, this kind of hashtag haunted love type of story is not in genuine Native American folklore, right? Like you don't find it in stories that are that are passed down um, in like official books or official legends or official things. This idea of uh, uh, of the parent not liking them, and so they—that's a European construction. That's a European thing. Uh, it doesn't seem to exist. If you can come up with a Native American legend that is a total Native American legend <coughs> that has this element to it, and you can track it that a Native American actually tells the story, um, feel free to call at 813-418-6822. Uh, but also, like, feel free to email it to me, right? Because we've come across this time and time again. Um, but there is something, and 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 Taylor doesn't con connect it to Native Americans, but we, I think, as an audience are like, wait a minute, like, that sounds Native American, like, right away. And, of course, as I'm doing stories in the Ocala Forest, I'm coming across not only legends that have to do with the panthers that are really in the forest and the bears that are really in the forest, but the idea of mystical mythical animals uh, and and obviously shadow men, things like that. We're going to do a whole episode just on, on, on shadow men. Um, but also, also um, things that are uh, kind of take on that. Like uh, I've even gotten a few things that may potentially be Puck Wedgie related. Um, so there is a, a history of that in there, and we want that. Um, so it's it's kind of it's kind of i don't think it's the american story i guess is what it boils down to instead what it really is is it's a um i think it's a, a much bigger commentary on uh race relations in florida and i think that it has to it has to be acknowledged uh that that is going on here it has to be acknowledged that this story um is something more than just a simple tale told as two people are walking in the woods a grandfather tells a grandson or, or a father tells a dad or, or kids tell and challenge each other there's there's another element to it because we're already, we are talking about the the differences between those two people being that uh one's black and one's white right the dad doesn't beat up because he's 17 the dad tries to kill him because he's black um and we have to see that that's an element of the story that is really important for the retelling of it because um you know it has this oh we didn't we, we wouldn't be like that um you know we wouldn't do that today or whatever but obviously if you look at um, what's going on in the world today in america today we, we're still seeing this kind of stuff um uh jeremy the 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 Hockamock and the um, and the free and Freetown and, and the triangle is, is very much like what's going on in Ocala. You have this whole collection of things and even there within it, you have this story that is kind of, um, you know, talking about something deeper. Uh, that's, that's oddly enough, one of the things I always felt though, the Bridgewater triangle lap, lacked depth, um, that there wasn't necessarily bigger meanings in a lot of the stories. They were just so crazy that, um, that, that, you know, it, it added to the weirdness of it. Um, so I, I started to, to discover, I tried, tried to go down this rabbit hole. I wanted to tell the story and I'm like, well, what is the, the town name, right? Cause the town doesn't exist anymore. So what is the name of the town? And, and it, cause it wasn't Rosewood or, or if it was Rosewood, it didn't exist on any records whatsoever. So at some point the town became known as Rosewood in the, in the story. I really have a strong feeling about there is a little bit of evidence to suggest that there might be some um, there might be some connection between uh, the different rosewoods that are in Florida that maybe it was just like rosewood plantation and so people called it rosewood. Um, but the he said according according to Taylor that the town was destroyed by fire, which I am finding more and more whenever I look at these uh, small towns in Florida these boom towns that then get kind of destroyed and they've got they get paved over or planted over um that so many of these towns are uh destroyed by fire 
And obviously you can go on conspiracy theories uh, uh, like these fires are so that the government can kind of take control of it again or this, you know, um, um, that people are doing it to profit from it somehow. But it, there are a ridiculous amount of fires that have ended towns or nearly ended towns in, um, in, in this central Florida area. So I started to look at, I mean, I searched everything for days. I even posted on Historical Florida, uh, Facebook page to try to get anyone who remembered um, this town or had ever heard of this town, um, which was kind of a really bad idea because no one was really listening to me uh, in the group. Um, and they kept giving me something that I'm gonna talk about in a sec. Um, but then I started to explore because we've, we've talked about a little bit this idea that in the Ocala forest, people don't know where they are. Uh, that once they get into the forest, not only do they get lost, but they can be living someplace for years and not be able to identify where in the forest it is or whether it's in the northwest, you know, the east, south, like where are, where are you in the forest? I don't know. Um, and, and so when he first told me the story, uh, he essentially was placing himself on the east side of the forest, right? And so I found this other town that was called Ridgewood. So I'm like, all right, so maybe it's Ridgewood. Um, and then I also found Rosebush, like all of these other towns that, you know, could potentially be this, this town. And uh, eventually he's like, nope, nope, it's not, it's not that, it's not this one. It's actually more towards Aster. Um, it's a town that's known as Paisley. Um, and it's in Lake County and it, it's, it's, a, it's a, used to be part of the town of Paisley, but there is no record. It's kind of like Pemberton Ferry um, in this town is myth. There is no record that this settlement existed, that it was ever an area of it was ever called Rosewood, that there was ever anything that happened. And here's where it, it kind of turns. Because as was pointed out, I kind of already knew this information, but as was pointed out um, erroneously, people kept saying, no, 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 you're in the wrong county. You're in the wrong county. You mean Levy County, you know, Rosewood and Levy County, Rosewood and Levy County. What I think has happened instead is that the story has always been about a black boy and a white girl who aren't supposed to be together. And they are punished for their love. And I think that that, if not, um, if not true, then it's at least supposed to be true, right? It's supposed to be a warning. Um, and, and it's interesting, I was talking to a, an archaeologist last night. It's not supposed to be a don't do this. It's not a cautionary tale um, in, in terms of let's not ever be these people again. It's so much more, um, it's so much more about um, almost praise for the dad. Um, I mean, if you think about this, the woman kills her father and she's the one whose soul is kind of now bound to this earth, right? And so she's definitely the one who does the wrong thing. She kills her dad and she kills herself, suicide bad. And like, she's the one that kind of pays for it, right? Um, I mean, she's crying, like she's fighting the forces of evil in the forest. Good luck, she's doing a crappy job with that. Um, but this idea of that she's stuck and you can still hear her crying, none of that sounds very pleasant. None of that sounds very, it's almost as if that other part's tacked, uh, tacked on. Um, so it's always been about racial tension. It's always been about uh, what's going on. And I think over time, as whatever that part of Paisley was called, as people forgot, as the land was taken back, uh, the forest took over part of it, um, it was burnt down, and so therefore people moved on. In, in Florida, um, when these towns go under, the people, it's either the town gets burnt down or um, they literally pull up everything like in Coon Hill. They literally pull the stuff out of the ground and go move it to another place. Um, instead, my, my, my theory is that the town name over years and years of being retold uh, has borrowed or stolen the name uh, of Rosewood, Florida. And the story of Rosewood, Florida, the actual story of Rosewood, Florida, 
is one that is um, maybe not as well known as it as it should be um, because we don't like it. <laughs> we don't like that story. We don't like uh, what it tells us about ourselves because this story does not take place in ancient history. Um, instead, it takes place in 1923. There was an area, uh, there was a town uh, known as Rosewood, and it is most famous for something that is known as the Rosewood Massacre. And this was, um, like I said, in 1923, the official report is that six uh, uh, African Americans died and two white uh, citizens died. But the real totals are more like in the somewhere between 50 and 100 people died in this. Um, and, and it ultimately ends with essentially the wiping out uh, of Rosewood completely. Um, so here's your, here's your Tripping on Legends history lesson. Um, and the odd thing is, is that as far as I know, there are no ghost stories that are coming out of Rosewood itself. There's no ghost stories coming out of where this thing actually happened. But I have a feeling that the, this massacre uh, is the spark for the name change, right? So people are talking about um, people are talking about this area, and they're telling this story. And it's very simple. It's kind of like a a, a mini version uh, of racial tension. And over time, it just kind of takes on the name of Rosewood. So Rosewood Rosewood was settled in 1847. Um, like many towns of that area in that town uh, in that section of Florida, it was primarily like a timber uh, limber limber or lumber. Uh, it was a lumber and turpentine uh, uh, haven, right? Um, so, like a lot of the towns, they started to uh, they started to do the wood. They started to uh, get turpentine from the wood, um, and then all of a sudden, it's like okay, so now all the other businesses kind of build up around it um, until by 1870. So we're talking pre Civil War, and right, a train depot. Um, is built, right? So it becomes populated enough that um, the trains are actually now going through. It's a stop, which of course brings a whole bunch of new business to it. And um, unfortunately, it, like many of the, the the narratives of these towns, it goes under, right? Um, the businesses start to fail, and by 1890, the mills are, are pretty much closed. Um, and when that happens, the the white people who had settled in the area leave the black people who had settled in the area stay and kind of start to um, reopen the mills and kind of try to are, are running things until from what i can tell this this town of rosewood kind of becomes like a little bit of a mini um a mini uh um, um powerhouse right and so uh, a guy by the name or the, the families are known as the goins and the carries um, they are they are in power and, and they kind of have control of this town and they're the the business is somewhat successful. Um, then on New Year's Day, New Year's Day in what did I say eighteen uh, nineteen twenty three. So now we're talking post Civil War completely. We're talking you know pre uh, civil rights, but there are the racial tension in Florida. I don't think I need to tell anybody, is absolutely horrible. Um, and if this sounds like something like the um, um, To Kill a Mockingbird, it, it is. And I wonder if it wasn't like maybe even the inspiration for some of it. Um, so there's a woman, a white woman in Sutner County named Frances Franny Taylor, and she uh, is assaulted, right? Uh, she is found beaten, and she says that uh, a black man came into her house and beat her. Um, rumors start to spread, even though she denied it in her reports, rumors start to spread that she was also raped, which kind of even intensified. Now, her, um, her launderer, uh, slash friend, a woman by the name of Sarah Carter, Sarah, no, Sarah Carrier, um, she is, she's like, it didn't happen that way. I actually saw a white person leaving, a white man leaving out the back door, so you guys can kind of say whatever you want about that. Um, but the, they decide that they need to find this man. So there is a character who's going to become pretty important in the book. His name is Elias, uh, uh, Sheriff Elias Walter. And this dude has got to be one of the most intimidating and sketchy characters in Florida history. Um, 
because it's funny. I, I was looking through the emails that I've gotten, and I have so many things that say, "Have you looked at? Have you looked at Elias Walker? I've looked at Elias Walker?" And I'm like, "No, no, no, not yet." Um, he deputizes a whole bunch of people until, uh, and some not until over a hundred people and dogs go out to find it. And so essentially, what they do is they find this man by the name of Aaron Carrier, uh, who's the nephew of Sarah, who they uh, assume have, has done the crime, and so they take him. Uh, to the jail, and um, um, oddly enough, Elias Walker kind of is protecting him. Um, the The mob, which is now kind of totally geared up, goes back out uh, looking for another guy that they were kind of anxious to get their hands on. This part of the story is kind of sketchy for me. I don't really understand it all. But a man by the name of Aaron Carrier, so now we're talking, I'm sorry, Sam Carter. Um, they find him. He's shot. Uh, in the face, and then they hang up his dead body. Um, so there, there's, and then all of a sudden things just explode. Uh, and by January fourth, there's kind of this showdown of of all these people at Sarah's house, um, and um, they essentially there's a shootout. They don't take the, the 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 sheriff and the deputies don't take the house, but there are who knows how many people died. And they say that, I and mean, there were even kids in there. Kids might have died, um, and. In the in the following days, they burn the, the house. They burn the, the the town to the ground. And Rosewood is and should be this real stickler, right? This should be something that kind of all history classes, especially here in Florida, are being taught, and they're not. Um, but it, it it talks to the racial tension that I think is is what the story kind of exemplifies. Um, so it's it's this really weird thing of like, well, how much of that do you get into? that history when you're telling that story, right? It becomes, does it become important? Does it become necessary to go down that um, that path? You know, like I said, I was talking to an archeologist last night and I realized that, you know, for the first two years of tripping on legends, um, it was uh, uh, hashtag haunted love, right? And all these stories we were getting were about love. And then when we went to Hog Island, thanks, um, thanks, Delia. We, when we went to Hog Island, everything seemed to shift. Uh, and all these stories now seem to be about racial tension, about the, the issues that black and whites have in Florida. And it's tricky ground to, to walk on. Uh, it's tricky ground to maneuver uh, in, the, in the times that we're in. Um, because how do you tell that story? You know, and is it true? And do you, do you take the story um, and, and put it out there and let others make the point, or do you connect it forward? Do you connect those dots? Um, that's what I'm dealing with. You can actually follow all of that kind of fun, good stuff, you know, because no one likes racial tension better than me. I mean, like, you know, all I want to do is tell a ghost story, but it's impossible to separate them. Um, you can follow all of that great material uh, by following Tripping on Legends on Facebook at trippingonlegends.com. I'm sorry, facebook.com back, backslash trippingonlegends. Um, you can actually go to trippingonlegends.com to get the same kind of information, um, as well as following us on Instagram at Spooky Tripping um, and on Twitter at Spooky Balzano. And of course, now you can subscribe to the archives of Midnight.fm. And not only will I be putting old episodes of Tripping on Legends on there, but you can also get all the other amazing shows that they have there. Um, and the subscription kind of helps pay for some really amazing paranormal content. And you can get it and you can kind of just listen to midnight.fm all day long. Um, as well <laughs> as you can uh, get my podcast uh, free anywhere. Maybe I'm going to put up some special stuff for the midnight.fm listeners to make it worthy. Because, you know, I'm, I guess, worth the subscription in and of itself. So there's a million ways to follow us. There's a million ways to get involved. Um, I ask all of you guys to... to uh, call, text, uh, 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 tweet me, whatever you can, telling me your legend. It doesn't have to be about Ocala, and it doesn't even really have to be about Florida. It just has to be interesting, and of course, hopefully, it also has to be a really great legend. Or if I've struck a chord with you tonight and been like, wait a minute, I have that exact same story that happened in my town. I want to hear it, and I want to hear what your town is. So, I am Christopher Balzano. You've been listening to Tripping on Legends. And here's hoping that all your trips are legendary.
amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.